Second Chronicles chapter 26, we've come as far as verse 1. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, you might remember in 2 Kings chapter 14, right around verse 21. He was also referred to Azariah, so we're talking about the same person here, Uzziah, who was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Now, that's important, that detail, because it says he was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned. How many of you have read the book of Isaiah, the prophet? A few of you in here, okay. The very first chapter, or what should I say, chapter 6, dates and delineates this very time. So if you want a good um, devotional study as we're going along these passages, I encourage you to maybe pray about being in a devotional time in the book of Isaiah along with our readings through Chronicles because from chapter 26 on, we're really looking at the timeline that that Isaiah speaks about and the things that were going on in that land and, and you know, just God's mercy because of the wickedness and the things. And yet God was so long-suffering and merciful. And it's beautiful to get sort of both sides of that, you know, because God speaks very clearly to the prophet Isaiah about things that are going to tell the people this. And, and really, I feel like it just rounds out our study. So we might jump back and forth to Isaiah as we go through some of these chapters here. But, but it's... It's right after, um, right after this, the previous king's death, Uzziah. It's right at the time, right around Isaiah chapter 6. He's 16-year-old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. We've read that a number of times now, and that's sort of a caption for us to know that the king is starting well. He's starting in the ways of David. He's being faithful to the things of God, the commandments, the statutes, the judgments of the Lord. It's always good when we see these things, but also we've learned just from the last few kings, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So according to all that his father Amaziah had done, he sought God in the days of Zechariah. Now this is not Zechariah from the prophet, from the book of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That's promise there. You know, it's a sort of a detail. I say it's a promise because God does that for you and I today as well. But he's delineating a fact and the idea, again, keeping with the same theme we've been in these last few chapters, is Uzziah has a godly influence. Zechariah. He sought God in the days of Zechariah. He is godly influences. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jebna, and the walls of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod. And among the Philistines, God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal, and against the Munites. Also, the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. That's, that's good. That means not only is he a godly king, but he's also going to turn around and make sure that the kings that were in tribute around him knew that they weren't going to, uh, you might say, pull a fast one. And a lot of times, some of these kings, they were coming in, and they thought, the surrounding nations thought, well, this is a good opportunity to take advantage of a weak king. So, by reading that they brought tribute to him, it gives us a little idea of his character, that he's a strong, decisive man. He's a decisive king as well. Not, certainly he's a godly king thus far, but he's also a decisive king, and, and that speaks to his character. And of course, when you're surrounded and you're in the word of God that way, it produces godly character, doesn't it? His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, and he became exceedingly strong. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress of the wall. So we see a little focus on infrastructure because it's a time of peace. Then he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. I I love this last part. This is something very unique to this king. It says he loved the soil. It, it tells us a couple things. One, it says he had much livestock 
and he dug wells for them. So he's a rancher. He's a rancher. And then the other thing that we see is because he was a vine dresser in the farms, he was also a farmer. Now, I'm not saying he went out and necessarily worked it, but it says he loved the soil. So I imagine he would go out probably in the sun of the day and get on his knees and work the garden and, you know, get out there and work with his hands, something very beautiful and, and, uh, and certainly building projects for the nations, but also liked to get out there and wasn't afraid to get dirty and knew a little bit about ranching. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number on their roll as prepared by Jael the scribe and Messiah the officer under the hand of Hananiah. He's got good leaders he's put in place. A good king, you want to put good leaders, right? One of the king's captains, the total number of the chief officers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, the shields, spears, helmets, and body armor, and bows, and slings to cast stones. So he's talking about an investment in defense. So a defense budget he put together. He took those monies and he's defending and building up uh, the armies and the equipment and everything so that they're ready. He's taking advantage of that. Again, we've seen our country, just related to our country, there's times where we have built up our national defense, right? And we've seen that. And you might wonder, is that godly? Has that ever happened? And, well, we just read in Scripture, it, it has and it does. And there's a time and a place for that. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men. So... Um, what this is describing is he's a technologist. He's someone that was forward thinking. He, he had an engineering mind. He was thinking about skill and creating new things. And he just didn't, you know, accept what was his, his thought. He was a critical thinker. He liked, to, he liked to tinker and build new things. And to build the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Right? Now we reach the point like his father, Amaziah. He's done all this very well. He's been a strong man. But, that's right, somebody said but out there. You're right. But, and I think this is really, really a very powerful passage. If I asked you, Proverbs, what comes before, and this is a little bit of a trick answer question for you, what becomes before the fall? Pride. Actually, what does Proverbs chapter 16, 18 say? A haughty spirit, right? A haughty spirit before the fall. What does pride produce? Pride leads to destruction. But how often has it become changed a little bit? I, I think watered down to be quite truthful with you. When I, when I see it that way, I don't know how else I'm always truthful with, but I don't know how else to say it because it's not just pride before the fall. A fall implies you fall down and you get right back up. And what it's describing in Proverbs 16, 18 is it's pride before destruction. Just, just the idea of complete destruction there. And it says a haughty spirit before the fall. Okay, and so this is exactly what we're going to see for Uzziah. What was Uzziah called to be? What did God give him as an office? He was born into that family line. It was an office God called him to serve in. If I asked you one word, what was Uzziah? He was a... Nobody knows. Okay, I heard one or two people. He was a king, right? He's King Uzziah, right? It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm practicing. I'm reaching out to you. It's okay. You guys are like, can we talk? Do you, are you, is, it, is it rhetorical? Does he really want us to answer back? Yeah, it's okay. Yes, Uzziah, okay, he was a king, yes. We read in these verses, one of the things that pride can do is not only can it take us out of the will of God, but it can actually create an appetite and a desire for more. And it can bring us to a place where we begin to think, well, why not? And we're going to read this passage, and it's so important in this passage to catch the theme of what God is trying to communicate to us. 
God has created each and every one of us very beautifully, beautiful and gifted us uniquely. He's called us to offices and places where to serve. Not everybody's to be in full-time ministry, right? It's just like not everyone's to, 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 you know, go to work in certain type of fields. Not everyone's to be a doctor. Not everyone's to be an auto mechanic, right? There's all different kinds of things that God has called individuals to. And you, it's really sweet when you find that place where God has called you and he's gifted you and skilled you for the work to do before you. But what happens if you're in that place and you kind of get really good at what you're doing, right? Because maybe you've done it for a number of years. You kind of know your job. And then you get to the place where you're like, well, there's got to be more. Is there any human beings? Don't raise your hand. But is there any human beings in here that's ever done that? Maybe there's something more. Maybe there's a more of a challenge. Maybe more of a lateral move. Maybe there's more of a ladder or another rung on the ladder to climb. It's a very worldly concept, not necessarily a biblical concept, to be honest with you. And um, what we read here is this man, and I'm, I'm spending a few moments to go through it, so we really get everything out of what we're about to read. Uzziah, I said already, Uzziah was created to be a, and you said it, king. King. There were other men that were called, you know, they were born, they were Levites, Maybe even some of the sons of Aaron through the lineage. And what were they called to be? Priests. So again, five of you knew that. I'm great. Thank you for the five that showed up tonight. They were called to be, I'm teasing you. They were called to be priests, right? Priests. What Uzziah is going to do is Uzziah is going to be filled with pride, a haughtiness. And, and yet, if you really look, like, I, I really believe when we get to heaven and we get to talk to Uzziah, because I, I believe we'll see many of these men and, and women that we read about in scriptures, and we'll be able to talk to them and have dialogue, and, oh, you're Uzziah, I read, you know, I read about you, you're, you're famous, man, you know, but, uh, you know, you signed my white robe, I don't know, you know, I'm, it's, maybe that's a stretch, that's a stretch, but, but you, you get, you know what I'm saying, like, you're going to sit there, and you're going to be like, well, you're Uzziah, and when you think about Uzziah for a minute, I, I think you're going to, you know, I know I'm going to remember this, I'm certainly not going to bring it up, because I think that would be kind of, like, a little inappropriate, but when I think about Uzziah, one of the things that he wanted to do is he wanted to go into the temple, and he wanted to burn an incense, or burn incense, sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, honestly, let's think about that here tonight. Let's not just read through this and, and then just go on to that. Let's really just meditate on this for a minute, because I really believe this is something that's a quandary in every one of our lives at some season in our lives. Is there anything wrong with the, the, the heart's desire to want to be more righteous or more uh, more in line with, you know, closer to what we would appear as godliness or something that would equate to that, you know? Is there anything wrong with desiring more of a relationship with Jesus Christ, getting closer to the Lord and doing those things? I hope all of us would say no. But what if our desire in our heart, you know, Paul preaches about this in 1 Corinthians 9. He uses words like, whoa. Whoa in the Bible, like, whoa. Almost though it took his breath away. He says, whoa, if I do not preach and teach the word of God. It's one of the things that when the Lord is raising up a man to be an under-shepherd, certainly I imagine other offices within the church, he creates this desire in the heart that nothing else will quite satisfy or do. It almost feels like you're, 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 you realize your tent making is your tent making. And you realize that what you were called to do was to serve the Lord in that capacity. And if you don't do that because of whatever reason you want to insert, whether it's finances, whether it's a move, whether it's, you know fill in the blank, you know, uh, whatever we can, you know, come up with. What ends up happening is it creates this, almost like in the pit of your stomach, this feeling of woe. I'll be really transparent with you this evening. I'll share something very early on in 
my ministry and the Lord that he was doing with me. Some of you might have heard this if you were back with us early in the early days of Prosser Hall. But I was praying because the Lord had given me Ezekiel 2, and he was telling me that I was to go out, and he was sending me to this area to, to start a Bible study. And I was talking with a friend down here who was already down in the area, and I'm thinking, you know, he had planned to maybe start the Bible study. He was closer, and I said, well, why don't you go praying with him? It was beautiful, you know, it was very, very nice. Something happened. He was unable to do that because one of his assistant pastor's uh, wife got ill. He was unable to, to follow through with that. He ended up moving further into another state, actually. And he called me, and he, his heart was broken for the people of Harrisburg. And I would pray for them for months and months and months. And one night, the Lord um, woke me up out of a sleep. And... I remember very clearly he had said, I've called you to go down and do this. You know, why aren't you being obedient, so to speak? And uh, I remember, transparently, I, I can't uh, even try to twist it because the Lord knows my heart and everything. I tried to create all these excuses. I really did. I, I was coming up with a lot of reasons in my heart of why, you know, we had a young, one of our children was, had some medical things going on, you know, the, the relocate, you know, the whole, there was a lot. I just, and the Lord like peered into my heart. I don't know how else to say it. And he, he basically said, are you telling me the truth? And when God does that, you know, you can't go, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> It's a breaking moment. I just remember sobbing and crying probably harder than I have at any other time in my life because I remember the Lord just creating that desire in my heart and I knew it was there and I was trying to, you know, imagine that it wasn't there. And it's that, you know, I remember even saying, you know, he said to me very clearly, at the time I used to work for Microsoft, some of you knew that, I would drive five hours, six hours, planes, trains, automobiles, for 14 years. I traveled all over the world, all over the United States, things like that. Uh, I was, you know, and I would go in and I would meet with people and have conversations with them about things. And, uh, and I remember he said to me, you'll drive three and a half hours, because at that time, that was, I was in Rochester, New York, and Albany, I would go down and we'd meet with the governor's office often. That was part of my role. And I would go to Albany, and, and that's in New York. That's, in, that's the capital of New York, for some of you who may or may not know that. He says, you'll drive three and a half hours one way in a day, but you won't drive four hours to feed my sheep. I mean, I don't care what kind of defense you try to put up. That'll just knock it right down. And it's so truthful. He was so right. Of course he was. He's God. You know, I don't hide from that. I don't hide those accounts or, or stories from you because I, I try to be as transparent about everything I'm going through, you're going through. We're walking out our faith, faith to faith. Amen. What happened to Uzziah here? Think of the inverse of that. Uzziah desired to go in and draw close to God in a way that God did not establish or desire for Uzziah to do. He was not a priest. He was not called to be a priest. And at first reading of this, and maybe you've read this before, maybe in your heart you thought, well, Lord, that was cruel. He wanted to draw close to you. All he was doing is going in and wanting to burn incense, which under the law was forbidden. But yes, he was doing it because he loves you. How often do we do that, Christian friend, right? Church. We do that. Well, you know, the Lord, and we, we, we even build it up and wrap it in a nice holy bow. Okay? And that's what Uzziah did. And if we're not careful, we miss what was really going on here. What was Uzziah again? He was a king. What were the Levites called to be again? They were called to be priests. Who was the only person being throughout all of history that the scriptures have testified and established a testimony that was supposed to be 
a king and a high priest. There's only one, Jesus. And what Uzziah was doing, that testimony of what he was about to take on was reserved for one God-man and one God-man only. And it was an office that God had established for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And when he was stepping, even though he believed he was doing it righteously, he was actually tarnishing the very testimony that God, before the foundation of the world, had established. Do we now understand a little bit more about what's going on in this passage? Maybe from a little bit different perspective. I'm using the eternal God's perspective on this. It's not God being cruel, nor is it what God being cruel in our lives when he establishes the offices he establishes for us. We don't get to choose those things. God chooses them. What we get to do is be obedient to those things. So let's read here together now. But when he was strong... His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah, the priest, went in after him. And I love this, Azariah. I can't wait to meet him and talk with him. And with him, 80 priests of the Lord. And do you see what underlined in your Bible? What's it say they were? Valiant men. These were not hirelings. These were not guys that were just like, yeah, whatever. I'm just here to, you know, collect the paycheck, you know, in ministry. No, no, no. These are valiant men. They were going to go against the king. They knew very well that he could order to have them all what? Murdered, killed, slaughtered. But they care more about God than they did about self-preservation. And they withstood King Uzziah, praise God, and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests and the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord. This is only for Jesus. Respect the office God has established. And I know some of you are saying, yes, but Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 tells us what? He created the male and female equal, and you would be exactly right. But God hasn't called me to do something that maybe other people are doing, right? And, and, and so if I, if I leave ministry, if I, if I just say, well, you know, this is really hard, especially in these last days, right? Being a pastor is really, really hard. Um, you know, I, it'd be a lot easier. I could just go work at uh, some establishment, nine to five, and, and I'm, I'm done. You know, I just I'd go to sleep at night. You know, everything would be good, right? I, you know, I think... Um, for some of those, you know, by the way, we don't just, um, under shepherds, we don't just work nine to five. Just, I, I, I put that out there because I think some people think when you leave, we just, you know, the, the place is empty and nothing, you know, we don't ever come back until you come back. But um, I, I say that in just uh, being funny because I didn't know. I didn't know until I was in ministry. I had no idea what to expect. Um, being honest, you know, just transparent with you. But what what established there is it would be wrong for me to do that. And I would actually be disobedient if I tried to step out of God's will and say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. Right now, if you talk to an under shepherd, they're a liar. If they said they'd never thought about that, they'd be a liar. Every man this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's the most privileged and precious thing I've ever done. But it's not like I don't ride the roller coaster, if I can use that term with you all. I ride the roller coaster with you when we come in for counseling, when we go through the word together. I'm riding it with you. Even if I'm not in your presence, I'm praying on my knees. I'm riding it with you. And it's a beautiful privilege to be able to do that. And not just me, but I, the assistant pastors, the elders, everybody, the, 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 the office staff, everybody that's here has that same heart. 
You know, we, we ride the roller coaster with every, just like a lot of times, don't you do that with, with us? When, when, when I'm up here and I'm limping and I'm hurting, you're praying for me, you're riding the roller coaster, right? It's, it's bearing each other's burden. It's being invested in each other. It's beautiful. But we don't get to choose, well, you know, I'm done today. It doesn't really work that way. Just like we don't get to choose when we start either, do we? It's, and, and so I just want to give you all an encouragement in regards to that, that in your lives, maybe there's a season where you're at and you're wondering, should I take a new job? Should I, should I move? Should I, should I do this different? Should I, you know, should I read the Old Testament in the morning and the New Testament at night? I don't, I don't, whatever it may be that's going, I want you to know you can bring everything to the Lord and you can ask him. You can certainly you know, meet with any of us here, we'd happy to point you back to scriptures that might help you. But the idea is, is we don't go to the left or to the right unless God tells us to step that way. It doesn't matter what public opinion is. It doesn't matter what we feel, right? I'm talking about all of us here. To have a surrendered heart like that, to, to, to really live out the Bible like that in our lives, a true Christian walk, isn't that exciting? And, and, and it takes time, doesn't it? You can't rush that, can you? It takes a lot of time because uh, to know the heart of the Lord in these matters, right? And then a lot of times, Lord, I, this is scary. Can you confirm it? You know, how many times you prayed that? Lord, are you sure? Can you confirm this? Okay, Lord, yeah. Those, those are all very normal uh, normal asks of the Lord that way. But here, Uzziah was never called to do this. He's stepping out on his own. And again, it seems holy and motivated by holiness, except there's one problem. It's against God. Just like when Peter said, Jesus, you're not going to the cross. I'm not going to let you die. And Jesus's response was, get behind me, Satan. He recognized who was putting Peter up to that, that it wasn't Peter, but maybe it's the world, the flesh, or the devil. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on before his head. So he became furious and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. So he was, right, he was, you know, oh, he was, I'm correct. This is what I want to do. I'm king. And while he was angry, the priest leper, with the priest leprosy broke out of his forehead. You, you, you cannot. The beauty of this is it can't be hidden. It didn't break out on his arm. You remember Miriam had some on her arm. You could wear a coat or something to cover that. This was in such a public place that he would never be able to enter the temple again, the sanctuary again, because it would be he would be unclean. Therefore, also God's protection. By the way. Also God's protection for him. It didn't look like that, but he finds himself with a sickness and God allows that sickness to keep him out of what? Out of sin. You mean God can do that? Yeah, God can do that sometimes. He allows that sometimes. In this particular case, it was judgment for his sin. And it says before the priest in the house of the Lord, besides the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and the priest looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. And we know leprosy is a scripture, always well, mostly symbolic of sin. So they thrust him out of the place. That means they grabbed a hold of him, and they escorted him out. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. You know what else pride leads to if we're not careful? We talked about a haughty spirit, right? What's a haughty spirit do? It, it comes before the fall. We talked about what pride leads. Pride leads to destruction. But you know what else it leads to? What did it lead to for Uzziah here? Isolation. Isolation. King Uzziah, in other words, it was his pride that led that. He could have clearly, you know, gone to the Lord, Lord, forgive me that I repent for what I've done. Maybe the Lord would have healed him and allowed him to come back into the sanctuary to be around that. But we don't read a single thing that Uzziah did that. <clears throat> King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house. 
because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the Acts of Uzziah, from the first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote. So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried with him with his fathers in the field of Barrow, which belonged to the kings, for they said he is a leper. <clears throat> then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Again, that's a tell for us. According to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But still the people acted corruptly. So despite this righteous king, people don't have the same zeal for the Lord. I think sometimes that's important. Maybe let that be a word of encouragement to you tonight. Maybe at your job, maybe some of you have uh, difficult jobs here or difficult maybe neighborhoods or difficult neighbors in the neighborhoods you live. And uh, you feel like you're the only one. You know, I, you got you know, drugs, you got, you know, things that shouldn't be going on in the neighborhood. And, you know, what are we doing here? What's going on? And Lord, am I the only one here that still calls upon your name? And, 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 you know, you, you wonder, Lord, what's, what's going on here? Well, that's exactly what Jotham was thinking because he was acting righteously and he was behaving as a godly king, but the people weren't responding to that. They weren't responding to that. And so he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. And he built extensively the wall of Ophel. Okay. Lord, just press my heart with something. You know, um, there's times in our lives where we go it alone. And we might think, Lord, how long? Or it can be lonely, maybe. You can feel like, oh, it's just, you know, I'm the only one. Is there anybody else walking the same road with me, especially in some of your jobs, your neighborhoods, things like that? Notice with me that Jotham didn't turn back and go, well, notice that he didn't turn around and say, well, you know, the culture is demanding this. Therefore, maybe we ought to change some of the practices in the sanctuary Maybe we better change some of the things that we do in the law to make it more culturally relevant to the times they're living. I bring this up, and I think you all know where I'm going with this, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But I think it's, again, another biblical principle. And one of the things that I believe separates Calvary Chapel, one of the things I think is near and dear to the distinctives of Calvary Chapel, and that is we're not looking to appeal through a chameleon act or a bait and switch to the culture around us. What we're praying for is that this place is a city of refuge, that people can come out of that culture when they're being called or when they're hurting or when they need a place that they can go to get relief, that there's still a place out there that's going to teach the word of God Genesis through Revelation, rinse and repeat, as I like to say, when we get through it, we'll do it again every 10 years, right? We, we do that. And the whole beauty of that is, is because God's word doesn't return void. And what happens is one heart gets changed at a time. And, and I'm only bringing this up because I have said it in the past. I've heard other pastors say it. And I, and I, I think the Lord sort of corrected my heart on this, which is, we see the things that are going on in the society and culture around us. And often I've said, where is the church standing up? It's the church. The reason that the culture is where it is today is because the church has failed. You, you, you've heard me say that from this very pulpit. And I, th and I want to say to you tonight, I believe the Lord has corrected my heart on that. And I don't think that's entirely the right case. I think that often... God is working through individuals' hearts here, and we maybe 
he may be changing our home or 100, but he has not called us to save this country. And I want us to understand, because this is a really heavy thing, because I pray, I pray about this often because it's complicated. What God has called us to do, or, or called all of us to do as a royal priesthood, is to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Now, certainly we can do that in voting. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. Oh, a contrary. But what I'm saying is, is that we vote through the Holy Spirit, yes. But it doesn't stop there. He's discipling and changing one heart at a time. And it's not your fault or my fault or the body of Christ's fault, if I can just say it that way, that the world continues to downward spiral. It's not because you are not faithful. It is not because the body of Christ worldwide is not faithful. It's because of free will and carnality. We don't have the ability to force, nor should we, because Jesus Christ hasn't called. As a matter of fact, it would be unrighteous for God the Father to judge someone without giving them the opportunity to choose otherwise, would it not? It's actually part of the equation, the sovereignty of God and the free will choice of man. It must be this way. And it's something the Lord sort of revealed to me, and it was through the reading of this passage, because I don't see Jotham that comes back and goes, Lord, what are we going to do to heal the nation of Israel? What are we going to do to heal the nation of Judah? What are we going to do to turn around other than take down the high places, which are spiritual aspects, right? So we talked about that. Hey, there's a Satan club over at the school absolutely we're going to rise up and go over there and protest that that was still happening. And we're absolutely going to go get involved in that because that's a spiritual matter. But has he called us to, to raise up a political savior? Or has he called us to save men and women one heart at a time? Because I'm going to suggest to you, you can't do both. And I know that's going to be hard to hear for some people here tonight. I know it's going to be hard for the people at home or on hearing in the radio. And they're going to say, you're not a patriot. Well, you don't know me then because I am a patriot. But I'm also starting to understand how, and I'm, I'm learning, like we're all learning, amen? I'm starting to understand how God, because of his sovereignty, how he chooses to work through this. And this passage describes it right here again. But still the people acted corruptly. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. But moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forest. He built fortresses. So he, he's securing the national defense, absolutely towers. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that one year 100 talents of silver. So that he's still making sure those Ammonites are staying under tribute. 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 of barley, barley, excuse me. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. So Jotham became mighty. Look at that. Look at how the Lord, he became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord God. What did he do first? It says that he put God first. He consulted God first. And then he did what God showed him to do. He didn't look to anyone else for that. And I, I know that the Lord is really speaking to my heart in that, in the days that we're living. Because I'm sure like most of you, it's heartbreaking to see a country you love walk in ungodliness. It's heartbreaking. And, and I know we're all feeling that. I know we're all, it's in our bellies. You know what I mean? It's in our bellies. It's like Ezekiel, my inwards are my outwards, my outwards. You know, as he said, it's, it's in our bellies. But what God effectively wants to do with us is he wants to use us to reach men and women. And we don't, we shouldn't get confused or distracted. We are to be salt and light. We are to go out. We are to be effective. And often that begins usually what's six inches right in front of your face. 
In other words, wherever you are, whatever you're doing at that moment, whatever group of people you're around, six inches, okay, a foot for some of those that, you know, a little bit more standoff, that's fine. A foot in front of your face. And it's something that just becomes very pressing and very, it almost, I don't know about you, doesn't it make you more aware of how God works this and does this and has done this in the past? God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't say, well, you know, we need to, he doesn't do any of that. It says, now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars, his ways, indeed, they're written in the book of the kings of Israel, Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his father and they buried him in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And I just find this to be a great encouragement for us. Because you know what else I learned about Jotham? He didn't have this elaborate ministry. You know, he wasn't getting called up and asked by the Calvary Chapel magazine. Can you, and I'm not, I love the Calvary Chapel magazine. I'm not knocking my brothers that put that together. I love it. We have it. It's wonderful. But his life is not about appearing in the magazine. He's not trying to draw publicity and appear in the newspaper. I don't even people read newspapers. Appear in the online newspaper, the digital paper, whatever you call that, okay? He's not looking to have this notoriety where all these people go, wow, look at Jotham. He's just quietly going about his way as a king, being as faithful as he can, honoring the Lord, putting and establishing things that are in the best interest of the nation, Voting, as I would say, if he was an American, he would go out and he would cast his vote as the Lord would lead him. He would understand that that would be his responsibility. But he's not going to go out and turn around and say, oh, we got to. No, no, he'd sit there and say, are you talking to the Lord? Do you know Jesus? You know, I'm just really encouraged by that. This is powerful ministry from this man. It's quiet and just this little chapter. Do you see how small chapter 27 is? Just this little chapter on this man that, guess what he did? He finished well. Chapter 28 with our remaining time tonight. We'll see how far we get here. I don't think we'll get through the whole chapter with the next five or so minutes, but we'll get as far as the Lord wants us to. Now we're introduced to his son. And this son Ahaz, he brings Judah to an all-time low. A low that's never even been seen before on Judah. That's how bad this king Ahaz is. And Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valleys of the son of Hinnom. So let's talk about that. And he burned his children in the fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So let's talk about what we learned just in these few verses here. He reintroduced wickedness to a generation in Judah. Not only reintroduced wickedness and, and idolatry, but then he also reintroduces Molech worship. Did you see that where it says he burned incense in the valley of, to the son of Hinnom? That would be child sacrifice. And to the, the goddess, we'll talk about that in a minute here. And he burned his children with fire. If you remember Moloch, it was a statue that he would have, and then they would light it up, they would put the babies in it, and they would burn them. And he does it with his own child here. To me, I equate that a lot with what abortion is. I feel like it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's a form of idolatry. It, to me, it's, it's, as I read in Scripture here, it's sacrificing just at a different altar not the altar of Molech, it's whether it's the altar of Planned Parenthood or the altar of the pick your place, but that's exactly what it's doing, killing an innocent child that way in the womb. 
And it says, according to the abominations of the nations of whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places on the hills under every green tree. What is this talking about? It's talking about creation worship. The idea that they would go under the trees and look how beautiful these trees are. You know what trees have always been symbolic of throughout all of history? Fertility. Because they blossom, they spring, and, and it was believed even in pagan cultures throughout history that you would plant trees in your yard or in that area. And if the trees grew and they blossomed beautifully, then the land was very fertile. And then that would also, some people took it in the surrounding nations, took it to mean that that was going to bring fertility to their home. They would bring the cult kind of, and that's exactly what this was talking about. They also, uh, I read a, one of the commentaries on this. It's a, they also, it, it also meant that there was some type of sexual immorality tied to this as well in the way this is written. Um, you know, I, I didn't get it out of the original Hebrew. I didn't see that. But but one commentator said that, you know, that the idea of the hills and under the green trees, that they would actually gather and they would do inappropriate things outdoors in front of others, sexually immoral things, okay? Therefore, the Lord, his God, delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria for judgment. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was delivered into the hand of the king of Israel in the north, who defeated him with a great slaughter. That's just how Satan works. For Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah. It's their cousins. In one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God, their fathers. Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, one of the largest tribes of the north, killed Mahaseah, the king's son, Azarkam, the officer of the house, Elpna, who was second to the king, and the children of Israel carried away captives of their brethren, 200,000 women, sons, and daughters. And they also took away much spoil for them and brought them the spoil of Samaria. Now, this is very, very important. In context, but a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. Please notice that God always has a testimony and always has one of his remnant or a prophet in the land. The man of faith. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he, was de he delivered them into your hand, but you have killed them in rage. That reaches the heaven. He says, you went beyond the fair judgment that God allowed because of the wickedness of Judah. You took it too far. You actually had rage. You know, what is Leviticus? You know, you think of Leviticus. Just hold your finger here. It's actually against the law. In a minute here, they also put him into slavery. Leviticus chapter 25 Verse 39 talks about how you were, in those passages, you were never allowed to put your own brethren in slavery that way. And now you purpose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves? But are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? So Israel is even breaking the law in what they're doing. Now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren from the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Jehanan, Bechariah the son of Meshelamath, Jechahiah the son of Shalom, and Amasa the son of Haldiah, stood up against those who came from the war, but they and said to them, You shall not bring the captives here, for we already have offended the Lord. I like that. You intended to, I liked in other words that he was standing up and willing to stand in the gap. He wasn't again worried about his own life. You intended to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great. And there is fierce wrath, that's judgment, against Israel. 
So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. Then the men who were designated by name rose up and took the captives from the spoil. They clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them and gave them sandals, gave them food and drink and anointed them. That's the idea that they put oil on them and healing balm and things like that to heal their wounds. And they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys so that they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of Palm trees that they returned to Samaria and at the same time King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him for again the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away the captives the Philistines also invaded the cities of the lowland of the south of Judah and also taken Beth Shemesh Ajalon Gerath Shalcon and its villages Timnah with its villages Gimzo with its villages and dwelt there but the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, and he encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Please underline that. And then here we see the price to that. What's he going to do because he's not going to the Lord? He's going to go to help on earth, right? Also, Tilgath Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him. And dressed him up and did not assist him. For Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, from the leaders. And he gave it to the king of Assyria. But he did not help him, right? You, we can read about that back. And one, you can read in Isaiah chapter um, 7, specifically about this. That's the Emmanuel prophecy. Do you remember the Emmanuel prophecy? It comes from Isaiah 7. It absolutely coordinates to write... Uh, it's in the same passage, verse 16 and on, and it's talking about the wickedness. And then God was also telling them prophetically that one day there will come one that will bring an end to all of this because Ahaz was so wicked in some of the things that were going on in Judah with such moral decline. And now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. That is the King Ahaz. That is that King Ahaz, sorry. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus and Syria, and Syrians, which he had defeated, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were also in ruin of, uh, ruin of him and all of Israel. And so Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So let's just talk about what, what happened here really quick. As they were turning around and... Going in again, you can go back to Kings, Second Kings, and you can read the account. We went through it together. It's online as well. At that time, uh, we know that Tilgath Pileser actually did go up and go against Damascus and Syria that way. And when um, the king here, Ahaz, turned around and goes up, you might remember he goes and he sees the gods of Syria, and he actually takes the pagan gods of Syria, and brings them back to Judah so that they can be set up and worshipped in Judah in idolatry. And, and the, the reason this is so, so significant, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing a big deal about it, is because it's 2 Kings 16, 7, just if you're wanting to know exactly what The reason it's so such a big deal is because they just got defeated by the Assyrians. Why would you worship the god that couldn't defend the Syrians, uh, you know, it would have been wrong for him to worship the Assyrian gods. That would at least made more sense. I mean, it's never, it's idolatry. It's wrong. But, but why would he go back and worship the gods of the Syrian uh, Damascus that were defeated? And that's, that just shows you just the downward spiral that eventually, you know what happens? Even common sense. Because men and women are given over to debased minds. They're giving over to these things. And that's why sometimes today we see these things and we're, what? It just doesn't even make sense to us. Like common sense, common logic. And we see what is going on. Well, now you understand why. Because it's just a downward spiral, these things. And then on top of that, what does he go and do, King Ahaz? Ahaz, he shuts up the temple. He basically cancels church. We just went through that a couple years ago, didn't we? You know, as I, I read this passage, just I thought to myself, Lord, never again, never again 
for one day or one month. You want open it up. People could come in if they wanted. There was something so catastrophic. Let people worship individually if they want. Or groups small spread out. I mean, there's so many other ways that this could be done because this is what it looks like when there's a wicked king. He wants to separate them from worshiping God. Do you, do you see that? And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked anger the, the Lord God of his father. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from the first to last, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah of Israel. And so Ahaz rested with his fathers and they, who's the they? Circle that in your Bible. Very, very important. Can I ask you who the they is today? He's talking about the remnant. The people that are still willing to hold on to God's truths, his commandments, statutes, and judgments, love the Lord, no matter what the culture of the world's doing, they still read their Bibles. They still love Jesus. They still pray. It's the they. What do they do? They buried him in the city in Jerusalem. But they, the remnant, did not bring him into the tombs of the kings. Because why? Because they disapprove, right? Because he was not a holy or great king. And they bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And you need a Hezekiah at this point. Because it had gotten so wicked and so evil that the Lord is gonna ha has to raise up a king like Hezekiah to turn things back and establish those things. You know, we have a good king, a great king that's coming again. We also have a high priest, as we talked about in chapter 26, who's coming again. His name is Jesus. And he's going to come and he's going to bring us home. The goal is no longer to right what's wronged on this earth. It's not like Hezekiah where there's another prophet that's going to try to restore and rebuild the land. That's not God's plan according to the book of Revelation. According to Thessalonians, first and second. According to Corinthians, first Corinthians 50, right? 1550. What's God's plan now? His plan is to come and take the bride of Christ, the church, home. Because he went to prepare a place for us. And he said he would come again. And then he's allowing a new age to begin on earth. And it'll be an age without the church. And the withholding by the Holy Spirit will be removed. And then literally, you've heard the saying, hell, it will all break loose. You don't want to be here during the great tribulation. And the good news is, if you're born again believer, you won't. Will you please stand with me? We'll close with a closing song. I know we're a little bit over, but I think it's really important to worship. Just to make sure our hearts stay right and we, we sort of lift our voices up to the Lord and we ask the Lord just to seal these things in our hearts here this evening, huh? God's word is so good, isn't it? I mean, so much application for today, so much application for our lives. I'm so thankful that he, he's given us this, the oracles of God. And they've all been illuminated for you and I. We no longer see in dimly lit or shadows. We see in a perfect light. Father, we just thank you. Lord, I don't know what more words I can say other than I love you. We love you. Thank you will never seem enough, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, Father, your son. Thank you. For godly men, Lord, as we read about tonight, men and women that are willing to stand in the gap, Lord, and even a remnant, Lord, in these last days that's willing to continue to follow your oracles, follow your teachings, and, Lord, knock it off on some other cultural uh, thing here as we read in Scripture. I just thank you, God, for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing in this church, the men and women that gather here. And I know in the Bride of Christ as a whole, Lord, I, I, you're certainly purifying the bride today. You're certainly separating the wheat, wheat and chaff, as you said you would in the last days, Lord. It's, it's becoming ever clear. I pray, I pray, Lord, you'd strengthen the Bride of Christ all around the world, Lord. 
I pray you 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 continue to strengthen our the men and women that Lord in the next hours may even be called to give their life for your name's sake, maybe even martyred, Lord. I lift them up to you as well. Especially right now. Give them the strength never to deny you, Lord. And I pray, God, for those that don't know you yet. I pray, give us just a little bit more time, Lord, so that we can we can reach the lost. Reach friends, families, prodigals, children, people that don't know you, Lord. Adult children that don't know you. I pray and I would ask these things, and I, I think I ask these in unity with my brothers and sisters here tonight. And we ask all of this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. Amen.